this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Let me ask you a question. Are you worthy? Uh, Do you feel worthy of God's mercy, of his forgiveness, of his goodness? The only way you'll be worthy is if you learn to live in God's grace. And anytime that you try to learn something new, it takes time and it takes patience. So make sure that you're patient with yourself as you learn the secret of living in God's grace. Today, Kyle is going to be sharing on this podcast how you can be worthy in God's sight through living in God's grace. So, I'm going to start this sermon off with a really interesting question. I think we hear it all the time, is, are you worthy? Um, That question's a really intense question if you think about it, because in commercials we always hear, you're worthy for this hamburger, you're worthy for these sneakers, you know? Or um, you hear, even in church a lot of times, that you're worthy. But it's an interesting question, because sometimes the Bible says we're not worthy, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, So, in the way I... What I'm talking about worthiness is you can understand it in a few different ways. Do you deserve a good life? That's the one way of understanding worthiness. Do you deserve to have a nice car? Do you deserve to have a nice house? Do you deserve to have a life full of health and prosperity? Do you, and another way to think of it is do you deserve salvation? Do you deserve to be in heaven in constant peace and serenity with Jesus? You know, Are you worthy of that? This question comes from a person I was talking to, um, pretty well-educated person, and he always, I think he believes in God. You know, he says he does, but then he acts a different way. (laughs) And so he says, when I think of religion, I feel worthy. That was one of the first things he said. Um, And he said, when I think of God, I feel worthy. Another reason why I started thinking about this is I started watching this YouTube channel called Living Waters, and it is amazing. Like, I don't know, I don't know too much about the ministry, but everything I have seen is just awesome. And that's the guy right there, Ray Comfort. He, what he is, is he's a street preacher from New New Zealand, and he lives in like the Santa Monica area. And he does this thing that is so interesting. I've never seen anyone do this before, but he goes, he says, first, if say if God is real, you know, just imagine with me for a second, whether or not you believe in God right now, but imagine if he's real, and if he were to judge you based on the Ten Commandments, would you be in heaven? Would he judge you correct? You know, would he judge you not guilty? And he'd go down the list, you know, did, he asked him, have you ever stolen anything before? Without a doubt, pretty much everyone has said, yeah, I've stolen something. Have you lied? And they said, more than I can count. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yeah. And so he would, then he would say, well, according to the Old Testament, most of these are punishable by death. And if, you know, if God were to ask you, are you guilty or not? Almost every single person self-condemns themselves. They'd say, according to the, new, the Ten Commandments, I would be guilty. Um, the most interesting one, though, is when he uh, interviewed this girl who was Catholic. He asked her, um, do you believe in God? She said, yeah, I believe in God. Um, she, her beliefs were actually very Christian, solid beliefs, you know. But he asked her the question on judgment. You know, he said, if God were to judge you, and he kept going further and further, you know, he wanted to get down to her heart, where her heart was based on, you know, why is she not guilty? And when it got down to the very, very bottom, her, the reason why she wasn't guilty in her mind was because she did a lot of good works. She was a good person. Um, and I think most of us would get to that point. We'd say, well, I've done more good than bad, you know what I mean? Or maybe I lived a bad life, but now I'm living a good life. So that should get me, I should be okay with God. Me and him should be all square. What was interesting is that Ray Comfort guy's response is, you're not saved. (laughs) You're not going to be in heaven because of your good works, you know? And that's a scary thought for a lot of us, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like 
most of the time myself, if I were to go deep down, if you know, someone was pointing a gun to my head and say, why shouldn't I kill you? Probably a lot of times every one of us would say, well, I've done a lot of good stuff. <laughs> you know, That shouldn't be our response. We should have a deeper response. And this is so cool because the whole thought about grace and good works, this is what this sermon is all about and why grace is so amazing. I'm going to go to Matthew 7, 22 through 23. It'll be up here as well. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If you think about it, these guys drove out demons. I don't know too many of us who have drawn out demons. You know what I mean? I don't know many of us who have even prophesied, you know. And God, according to their works, they did not get into heaven. And so if we're saying, well, I've lived a good life, you know, I've been generous, or I've given my time to multiple charities, according to this, that isn't enough. You know what I mean? These guys have done way greater things than us. God also says in Isaiah 64, 6, it's up there, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Isn't that crazy that that's in the Bible? You know what I mean? That we'll say, God, you know, I did all these good things. God says, that's filthy rags to me. You think about it, he's a perfect God. So anything done by an imperfect person doesn't amount to that standard. You know what I mean? There's this, uh, it's, then there's the counter argument a lot of people have, especially people who have modern belief, modern values, that say, well, I'm not a religious person anyways, you know. I have modern values. I live on the right side of thinking. I think clearly, you know. I'm rational. I believe in science. <laughs> well, God has a verse for you too. He says in Romans 10.3, because they were ignorant of God's righteousness and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And this is a key driver. It doesn't matter what you base your righteousness on, whether it's good or bad. I think a lot of bad people, you know, I think of the communists in China during Mao Zedong. They were thinking they were on the right track. They were slaughtering everyone who dis didn't believe in their way because they thought if we can get the country purged of anything bad, we're doing a justice to society. We're going to get it on the right track finally. It says right here that it doesn't matter really what it is. It's if you are trying to establish a righteousness outside of what God is giving and you're trying to receive, you're on the wrong track. When we seek to establish a righteousness of our own, we miss out on the one true way of living right. Um, in Psalms 5.4, it also says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, no evil person dwells with you. And that's another verse that God, I think a lot of us nowadays, we kind of have this understanding of Jesus being just this comforter. Like he's like, you know, everyone's going to get into heaven. According to Psalms 5.4, it says no evil person dwells with you. So outside of Jesus, he is not going to accept you. If you don't believe in Jesus and receive him as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to be in heaven. Isn't that, that's scary, you know what I mean? It's scary to me too. We're, it's a creepy thought to think all eternity being separated from God. But what is so cool, and it, well, before I get there, this kind of brought me some questions then, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it made me think, how will I get into heaven, you know? We hear all the time, like, how, well, this is how you get into heaven, you know? And then 
how do I live in the grace I always hear about, you know? You hear those kind of messages and stuff. How do I get into that grace and how do I access that wonderful salvation that God has for me, that wonderful grace? How is it accessed if it's not by works? Because that is the key thing. And, you know, we're always thinking, I have to perform. I have to do this or I have to do that. And the only way to get there, I'll show you, is in this parable. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other man, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I want to ask you a question. Who was it that God justified? It was the tax collector. You know what I mean? The guy who, and it wasn't because he wasn't right, like religious. I think we, I think our modern society changes it. It says, well, because he lived, you know, a life that was honest and he was just himself, that's why he got righteous. No, it's because he realized how sinful he was and asked for God's mercy. It was the man who in, who in his guilt, in his filth and in his shame, looked nowhere else but God. He didn't try to earn it on his own anymore, and he realized he couldn't earn it on his own. That's a key thing right there is realizing you can't earn it on your own, that you have to come humbly and not exalting yourself, like that other verse said. All who lower themselves and just kind of let go. There's this cartoon called The Amazing, I think it's called Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but there's this awesome line in it that says, when do I know that I'm ready? He says, you don't. And so that's kind of a creepy thought that you don't know when you're ready. You don't know, but you have to let go and just trust God that he will take care of you. You know what I mean? And that's what faith is all about is letting go and trusting that God's going to take care of you. And it's, it's scary to do that. Um, and the way, the way that you can start telling you're on the right track is when you start crying out to God. When you start saying, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't. I'm humbly lowering myself and receiving all the blessings, all the good grace you have for me, all the wonders you have in store for me. I know I am a sinner. The key, you have to say, God, no one else is at fault but me. You know, I know that things may have done, happened bad in my life. Maybe I did some wrong things. But God, I take full responsibility for it. But I also receive your grace that covers me and washes over me. That's when we start getting on that right track. That's when we start getting out of the grace that we're trying to earn constantly. That's leading us away from God. And we start going in the right direction towards God. And I came up, this kind of cool, but I came up with this thing called R&R. Because just like rest and relaxation, realizing and returning brings new life to you. And so, and this is the key thing that I want to get started with is, and what's really been a revelation to me is that whole idea of saying, God I am dirty. You know what I mean? Without Jesus, I am dirty. And I think that's one of the major hindrances of our walk with God is thinking that we're clean on our own. That God, that Jesus is kind of like this little piece that we add on to our lives that kind of makes things better. But when in reality, he's the one who makes us clean. He's the one who adds all the freshness and fullness to our lives. We have to realize without Jesus, we are going straight to hell. You know what I mean? We're that bad. And 
the only way to, uh, sorry, that grace, this is a key, this is also a really cool thought too, that grace is only grace for those who really need it and realize they need it. You know, grace is only for those who, grace is, the whole point of grace is for when you screw up. You know what I mean? When you mess up in life and you need something to pull you out. If you're a perfect person, you don't need grace. But the reality is none of us are perfect people. And so that's the key part of the realization is that to realize how lost we are without Jesus. And that's when salvation starts tasting sweet. That's when new life starts tasting wonderful. Um, I think of it like, I think I've lived like this for a long portion of my life is like, I'll add Jesus to my repertoire. You know what I mean? Like, I'll add him. He'll be right here on my shelf. You know, he'll make me feel good. He'll make me feel you know, like I'm a moral person. I think my friend was very much like that. You know, he believed in um, God and that it made him feel good. Like he had a deeper understanding that he was a right person. But man, that's not what it's all about. There's this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he coined the term cheap grace. And that's what that is. It's when you say, you know what? Jesus will accept me as I am. I'm a good enough person. I'll add him, you know, and that's about it. But grace is all about just letting go and receiving all the fullness of God. Grace can only save a person who needs saving. Um, in Mark 2.17, it says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that, that verse, I think, sums that up perfectly. You know, if you are righteous, which none of us are without Jesus, how can you get, how, why do you need a doctor if you're already healthy? You know what I mean? But Jesus said, I'm calling the sinners, the people who realize they're in sin, the tax collectors, the, the prostitutes. That's the people he called. And we're all in that category of sinners if we realize it, you know? It's kind of like a drowning person. I pictured like a person being underwater. You know, their head's already under. They've already swallowing it down. And there's a lifesaver right by that hand. And all we have to do is just grab hold of that lifesaver. But there's so many of us who are already underwater. Our heads are gone, are already below it. We're swallowing a bunch of water, but we're so prideful and want to prove to Jesus, I can get back to the boat, which is heaven. You know, the boat represents heaven. We need to just take hold of that lifesaver. Say, God, I'm not, I'm about to go under. I can't do it on my own. I need to receive that lifesaver. In uh, another awesome story is the prodigal son, and that's from Luke 15, 11 through 32, but I'm going to start in verse 14 and kind of jump around a little bit. It says, after he had spent everything, there, oh, and let me give you a little backstory because maybe some of you don't know the prodigal son. The story is, is that this man had two sons. Um, one of them was kind of, you know, really hardworking. He wanted to stick with his dad, but the other one wanted to say, dad, you're as good to me dead. You know what I mean? I want my inheritance now. Give me half of whatever you own, and I'm off. And that's what happened. The dad was so loving that and, you know, wanted to, I guess, teach him. And, under, you know, st- I don't understand exactly why the dad did it. But he gave him half of everything he owned, and the son went off. And he spent it on wild living. Well, in verse 14, we see what happens. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. And this is such an interesting story because it shows the whole progression of grace and salvation. 
you have, um, there's these three things I want to point out. It's need, go, and repent. Um, the son, he got to the point where he finally realized how lost he was. You know what I mean? And we'll all get there, but you want to get there while you're still on earth. You don't want to get there when it's time for judgment. But we need to realize, we need to come to our senses just like the son did. And we need to realize how horribly messed up we are. Then we need to go back to God. We need to return to him, come back to him, and realize how good he was. Remember how good he was. There, all of us, I think, if you look back at one point in your life, you'll remember that one time that he did something amazing in your life. And he wants to do that over and over and over again. The thing that we also need to do is repent. And this is the most important part of the whole thing. Because we need to be like the son and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And what that is is saying is that, God, you're the only good thing I have in life. You're the only person who was with me when I was born all the way until I left you. You loved me in the good times and in the bad times. You gave me all of what you owned so that I would go spend it on wild living. That's not, and like he wants, God wants us to come back to him and watch what happens when we return. That's the other part of the R, the returning part. Watch what he says in verse 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. When we return to Jesus, he throws his arms around you. He loves you. And he pronounces you his child again. Isn't that cool? No matter how screwed up you've been in life, all you have to do is return. All you have to do is realize that it was your fault and just repent. And he comes back and grabs you in his arms. He celebrates your return. Isn't that cool? That no matter how messed up you come back, because I'm the son, if you, if you read the story, he was in pig slop. You know what I mean? He was covered in filth, in muck. You know what I mean? He probably didn't look like the son that was with him at the beginning. You know what I mean? He looked completely different, but yet that father recognized him and brought him into his embrace. And what's so cool is God pronounces you alive again. You know what I mean? That is a cool thought that he pronounces you alive. And, and this is the last few scriptures that I wanted to read. Um, and these are going to be in your daily readings. And these are the ones that I want you to memorize because when you're witnessing to people, these are like critical scriptures that you want to memorize. Because say if, you know, you don't have your Bible, you don't have your phone with you, and you want to be able to run a few off the top of your head that really get to the heart of the matter, these are the ones that you want to quote. But it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace requires humility, you know? We need to realize how frail we are and stop trying to prove, but also be entitled to God. God doesn't, he, we don't deserve anything from God. We're not good. You know, our, our deeds deserve hell. But we, God has so much love and so much blessing for you that you just need to receive it, you know? But don't come to him entitled and don't come to him um, in pride either. In Titus 3, 5, this is also really good. And these both, both of these verses are really similar but it says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Grace doesn't require you to prove yourself anymore, you know? 
And the whole point, and you might think, well, doesn't God require me to still live a good life, like to love people, to be generous? He does. But when you're in relationship with someone, you want to do those things. You start wanting to love him. And when you realize how dirty you were and how close you were to eternal horrors, you know what I mean? That's when you start realizing how good Jesus was, you know what I mean? And you want to do those wonderful things. And the very, very last one, and this is probably the best one, is John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'll ask you guys this question. Do you want a new life? You know, if you guys want, if you want a new life, I ask everyone who's our prayer team to come up real quick and just uh, stand up here for... And um, if you want a new life, or if you're a Christian who wants to live a better, more power-packed life, could you come up? Um, You're not going to be the only one. There's other people up here that are going to be coming up, so you don't have to feel awkward at all. But, man, God wants to make your life better. He wants to make it richer and fuller and more free. He doesn't want you to be covered in shame anymore. He doesn't want you to be covered in, in disgrace. He wants you to be enjoying his wonderful presence and his wonderful power. So... I'm just going to pray a little bit. Thank you, dear God, for this sermon, dear God. Thank you, dear Jesus, for your word, dear God, that shows so much grace, so much freedom, and so much power, dear God. Dear Jesus, I just pray, dear God, that everyone, dear God, who has a burden on their heart, dear Jesus, would call out to you right now, dear God, to start realizing, dear God, how wholly lost we are without you, dear Jesus. How we can stop the misery right now, dear God, and have you right beside us, right beside us, dear God, calling and loving us, dear Jesus that your spirit, dear God, can infill our hearts, dear God, so that we're no longer lonely, dear God. We're no longer walking, dear God, in confusion, dear Jesus. You can give us purpose, dear God. Thank you, dear Jesus. And you have a calling, dear God, on each person's life in here, dear God. You have a wonderful calling, dear God. A calling, dear God, that can set captives free, dear Jesus, that can set people, dear God, who have had horrible lives, dear God, and give them new life, dear God, no matter how dirty they are, dear God, no matter how many sins they've committed, dear Jesus, dear God, you are offering, you're our loving Father, dear God, who runs to us, dear God, when we decide to turn back to you, dear God. You run towards us, dear God, with open arms, dear Jesus, and want to receive us, dear God. You receive us, dear God, and pronounce us your child again, dear Jesus.